Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, hey everybody, happy May. Who's excited that school's almost over? Yeah, oh, come on. That's kind of, that's, I feel like in college, there's about a week left, and uh, all the school, or the snow days, you know, kind of hurt everybody else, but you now we're closing in. I'm praying you finish strong. Just months ago, we were uh, praying on the outset for teachers and all the people in our church who work in schools and students and everything for a great school year, and so um, praying you to the finish line, praying we finish strong, gearing up for a great summer. Uh, we got some great summer series planned, and of course, uh, Serve Day on July 13th. Saturday, July 13th is going to be our, our Serve Day. I hope you have that on your calendar. What is Serve Day? Serve Day is an outreach event where we send uh, hundreds of people out into our community and show the love of Christ in a, a tangible way. Uh, I hope you'll mark your calendar for that, make that part of your uh, family summer plans. We had about 500 people participate in Serve Day uh, last summer. And I just love being a part of a church that's making a difference, uh, that's impacting uh, people uh, here in our community, in our city. And got a thank you note uh, from somebody I wanted to pass along to you from the uh, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. We sent them a a pretty substantial gift um, because they're helping out with uh, the Nebraska and Iowa uh, flooding and just communities and families and businesses that have been devastated by the flooding and now that's grown they just said words cannot express our sincere appreciation for this wonderful gift thank you and may God bless your church so thank you uh, for your giving that allows us uh, to respond in some ways even just in a small way like that but it's making a big difference uh, for how they're trying to restore those people and those communities last week we started a series on Uh, how to make a difference in people's lives individually, and how to help your friends through tough times. It's a five-part series. Uh, Next week is Mother's Day weekend. We'll have a message on uh, what moms need and how you can help uh, any mom in in your life. So I hope you'll join us for that. We've got a great Mother's Day weekend planned. But we've started this series with a two-part message on how to help a friend through a crisis. And this is a two-part message with a lot of points and sub-points and just different things, because I'm just trying to give you real practical stuff, uh, equip you a tool that you can use when you don't know what to say, when you don't know what verse to read, when you don't know what to, to pray to help a friend. And we all know that relationships don't work in uh, outlines and bullet points, and they just don't flow that way. They're more fluid than that. They're, they're harder than that. They're more dysfunctional than that. But I still think you'll find here um, a great tool that can help you and equip you in just knowing what to say when and maybe what to save for later and, and things like that. So well, last week we talked about our first three responses when helping a friend through a crisis. And number one is to show up, to show up. In the middle of all the texts and all the calls and all the emails and everything else, close friends show up. And crises tend to often define and refine friendships and bond them together because close friends show up in the middle of those. Uh, The second thing we said was to share their pain. That doesn't mean you have to adopt their pain, doesn't mean that you have to uh, go through exactly what they're going through, or that you have to um, even fully understand what they're going through, but to be compassionate, to lift some of the burden, to carry some of the weight, to take some of the weight off of their shoulders. 
And then three was support them with prayer. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer is how we strengthen people spiritually. And last week, if you missed it, we gave three specific things uh, to pray uh, for people. that they, they, need, they even need to hear you pray them for them uh, over the phone or in person. And uh, If you missed that, you can hear that online, of course, on the podcast, on CD. You could read a blog recap of it, and you could get those things uh, if you missed them. Uh, but we're going to move on to the other four things. It's a total of seven things. And these seven things will apply to any crisis, the loss of a loved one, a bankruptcy, an illness, many different hard times. Uh, but we've been directly applying these things to helping someone through the loss of a relationship, even a divorce. And uh, many of you know or, or will know someone who's going through the loss of a relationship. How can we help someone through that? And we just finished a series a couple months ago on fighting for our relationships and we learn that the Bible teaches us it's, it's always more rewarding to restore a relationship rather than replace it. It's harder, but it's always more rewarding and, and you end up with, with even a, a really deep relationship. The Bible also tells us there's only two legitimate reasons for divorce. In Matthew 19, it says adultery is a legitimate reason. 1 Corinthians 7 says abandonment is a legitimate reason for divorce, but at the end of the day, it takes two people to make a marriage work, doesn't it? And I, I, wish, I wish one person could save a marriage. I wish one person could make a marriage work. But it takes two to make a marriage work. But God's grace is immeasurable. And as much as the loss of a relationship hurts, God's healing and grace can enter into the darkest places. And God calls us to be His agents of, of grace. So this series turns the tables. It asks the question, how can we help? How can we not only receive God's grace, but how can it flow through us to someone else? How can we be an agent of God's grace? How can we help? So let's go to the fourth thing that you do as, your friend, uh, as a friend when you're helping a friend through a crisis. If you're taking notes, write this in. You start with forgiveness. And maybe you say, what do you mean start? Like, this is point number four. Like, well, we've already started, but... Really, in those first three, you haven't done much. You haven't said much. I mean, you've showed up, you've shared the pain, you've prayed for them, but what, how, do you help, how do you lead them on the road to healing? And that starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most important issue that your friend is going to have to deal with in a crisis. Why? Because when we don't deal with forgiveness, it eats us alive. There are three common emotions that happen in the loss of a relationship. Anger, Guilt and bitterness. Anger, guilt, and bitterness. And those three emotions can actually end up being worse than a crisis because a crisis is going to come to an end. But if you carry those emotions with you into the rest of your life, it ruins the rest of your life. And so anger, guilt, and bitterness are worse than any crisis you could go through because you can get over a crisis. But those three emotions can damage the rest of your life. The antidote to anger, the antidote to guilt, the antidote to bitterness, it's all the same antidote. It's forgiveness. Ask forgiveness, accept forgiveness, offer forgiveness. There's no other way to get well. Believe me, if there were another way to get well, I would tell you. Because it's not the funnest thing to preach. It's not the funnest thing to help a friend through. It's not the funnest thing to do. But it is the only way to get healed emotionally 
is through forgiveness. And maybe you say, well, they don't deserve it. But forgiveness is not about justice. It's about getting on with your life. It's about becoming like Christ. It's about becoming the person God has created you to be. It's about not being controlled by that person anymore. We think when we hold resentment against someone, we're somehow getting even with them. When in reality, all we've done is allowed them to control us even longer. And we've allowed the emotions from their wounds to carry into the rest of our life and control our life. We're doing the opposite of what we think it is. So how do you, as a friend, how do you help a friend learn forgiveness? Uh, it's these next three verses. And I'll give you a point or something you can write in next to each one of those. That is, you want to help your friend stop fixing the blame. Blaming is the most worthless emotion on the planet. Blaming has never solved a problem. Blaming has never made you feel better. Blaming has never lessened anyone's pain. We don't spend a second of our life blaming because that's a second of life wasted. And your friend, when they're going through a crisis, like the loss of a relationship, they're going to have a tendency to go to one of two extremes. They're going to say, it's all their fault. Or it's all my fault. And neither one of those are helpful. And neither one of those are really true. The Bible says this, Job 18.4, You may tear out your hair in anger, but will that destroy the earth? Will that make it, will it make the rocks crumble? It's saying we only hurt ourselves with our anger. It doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't do anything. I wonder who your friend or even you are blaming for your unhappiness. If I only had a different boss, if my wife would just do this, if my husband would just do this, if my kids would just shape up, if, if my mother weren't so, if, if, if God would just, and we end up blaming God for our problems, but God doesn't cause divorce, God doesn't cause bankruptcy, God didn't cause the, the, the debt or, or the pain, that God isn't the author of death, he's the author of life. And God will help us out of a problem, but as long as we're blaming him, we're not going to see what his solution is. This next verse teaches us how to help our, our friend the next way, and that is to help our friend confess their sins. Because they're never going to get healed until they own up to their part. They've got to confess their sins and ask for forgiveness. It's the second step to healing. Psalm 38, 4 and 18 says, My guilt overwhelms me like a burden too heavy to bear. But I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. They ask forgiveness from God. If they need to ask forgiveness from somebody else to get rid of the guilt, just encourage them to do that. Help, help them do that. You stop fixing the blame. You confess your sins. And then here's the third thing is you help your friend offer forgiveness to those who have hurt them. Again, not because they deserve it. If, if someone deserves your forgiveness you wouldn't be in the circumstance to have to forgive them in the first place. Forgiveness is not about justice. It's about seeing the truth. What do you mean? Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And in a divorce, someone's probably going to need to forgive their ex-spouse. They're probably going to need to forgive some in-laws and some judgmental friends and maybe someone who stole a spouse. And there's going to be 
people who need to be forgiven. Martin Luther King once said, bitterness is blindness. Bitterness is blindness. Why? Because it blinds you to the truth. You cannot see reality. Bitterness warps, it skews our vision of reality. Do you know anyone walking through life with a skewed vision of reality? It's because bitterness... <laughs> I got kind of an amen up here in some form, but... It's because bitterness blinds us to the truth. It blinds us to reality. We don't see the real world for what it is. Bitterness is blindness. And what it really blinds us to is that the truth that God can take even the stupid mistakes we've made, even our sins, even our willful disobedience, and He can turn it around for good in our life to His glory if we'll give it to Him. He's done it for me. You could probably say He's done it for me too. But we're not going to see that when we're bitter because bitterness is blindness. So as a friend, I'm going to try and communicate, help them communicate with God to say, I don't like this situation. I don't want to go dark with this. I don't want to get bitter from this because I want the pain to stop. And the pain won't stop if I hold on to anger and guilt and bitterness. All right, let's, let's go to the fifth thing. The fifth step you want to uh, do is, is suggest accepting reality. You want to help your friend accept reality, how things really are. Not the way we wish them to be, the way, not the way we'd hope they'd be, but as they really are. And friends often have to be the ones to speak this truth. And it's hard sometimes. It hurts sometimes. The Bible says wounds from a friend, though, are better than kisses from an enemy. That sometimes we have to confront with the truth, and it hurts, but it's what being a true friend is. So, so where are we in all this? Okay, let's back up a second. So you show up, and you shut up. You share their pain. You support them with prayer. Start them on the road to forgiveness, and now we're suggesting accepting reality. What am I talking about? Talking about coming to a place where you accept the fact that the past is past. No matter what you do, no matter how much you dislike the past, no matter how much you hate the past, no matter how much you wish you could do it over, no matter how much you wish you could rewrite it, the past has passed. And reality is, it's not going to change. And I've talked with many people who have had a spouse abandon them, walk out on them, cheat on them, be unfaithful. Spouses with someone else, and it's 10 years later, and this person is still hoping that their spouse is going to come back, and they're not coming back. And acceptance is the only way to peace. You know, God's purpose has never been changed by the pain in your life. Your pain has never thwarted God's purpose for your life. God doesn't have a plan B for your life. Before God created you, He he knew all the stupid mistakes you and I would make. and He knew all the willful disobedience and He knew all the wrong things. He knew all the mistakes other people would make and the the scars it would leave us and the things they would do again against us. And He still chose to love us. He still chose to create us. He still chose to send His Son to die for us. He says, I still want you in heaven with me. And the fact is, God's purpose goes on and life goes on and acceptance is the only way to emotional healing. Let me give you a good example of this. It's a, it's a hard example. Uh, but from Scripture, a really good example. There's a story about a man named David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David's the king of Israel. 
David wrote much of the book of Psalms. Um, He's in one of the darker periods of his life. He's had an affair. Uh, He commits adultery with one of his general's wives while his general was out on the battlefield defending him. Uh, That woman was named Bathsheba, and she found out she was pregnant. And so to hide this from his general, David sent his general into the front line of battle so that he would be shot with an arrow first so he would be killed. So now David is not only an adulterer, he's a murderer. And Bathsheba bore that child. And after the child was born, it became very, very ill. And David grieved over this child. And he fasted and prayed uh, for days that the baby would live. And in fact, let me just read you the story. You can follow along on the screen if you like. Starting in verse 16, it says, David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He, he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Notice David's reaction. Then he got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the place, to the palace, and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day. Meaning the child is in heaven, and I'll I'll meet him in heaven one day. I'll go to be with him, but he cannot return to me. What did David do with his grief? He didn't second-guess himself. He didn't resign from life. He didn't build up walls of isolation. When the baby died, he accepted reality. Do you know what this story tells me? You know what this story tells me about accepting reality? It's three things. I've added these. You can write them at the bottom of your notes if you like. One is we have to accept what cannot be changed. The baby wasn't coming back. So David said, there's no use in me mourning anymore. Now, this is a unique scenario where David did the mourning and the grieving beforehand. So grieving is a very healthy thing. This is why this is point number five. This isn't point number one or two. Remember, we talked about last week how crying out to God and Giving him our grief and our emotions is an important step. It's, it's necessary. If we suppress that, it's going to damage life later. But we need to come to a point where we accept what cannot be changed. The second thing you do is, is what I say, play it down and pray it up. What does that mean? It means you don't exaggerate the crisis. You, don't, it, you dedicate it. You surrender it. You don't say, this is the end of my life, or this is the end of your life. It's not the end of your life. A divorce is not the end of your life. The death of a loved one is not the end of your life. Painful, yes, it feels like it, but it's not. 
And notice what David did after the baby died. He goes to church. He gets up, he gets washed, he goes to the tabernacle and he worships. Now, I've been in the, ch- in the church since I was a little kid and I have witnessed thousands of people go through crises. And what I've seen is far too many people, when, they go, when they're going through something like a bankruptcy, the loss of a relationship, the death of a loved one, far too many people stop going to church, the very place they need to be, the very place they're going to get spiritual nourishment, the very place that's going to give them the words to pray and, and, the, and the things to sing and the, the ways to cry out to God when they don't have those words themselves, the things that are going to remind them of the, the promises of God, the very place we need to be when we're in pain. Or we're going to get the fellowship of those around us. Friends bring friends to church. You may have to make them come. But friends bring friends to church. So you play it down. You pray it up. The third thing you do is you focus on what's left, not what's lost. It's very important. You focus on on what's left, not what's lost. That's what David did. But there's still some left. God's not finished with you. He still has a plan for your life. He's not through with you. You're still alive. Leads us to the sixth thing that true friends do for their friends when they're going through a crisis is you strengthen their faith. And this is so important. A divorce or any other major crisis shakes your faith. But your faith and your trust in Christ is what's going to get you through it. The Bible says this. David wrote these words. This is a guy that's had an affair, has gone through all this, loss of a child. Seven, Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I would have given up. I would have thrown in the towel. I came to the end. And I would have given up if I had not believed in the goodness of the God. Of God. He's saying that even in those situations where life stinks and it all seems dark and it's all gone black, I still believe the sun is shining. Not even I believe the sun will rise again, but even though it's dark, I still believe the sun is shining. I still believe God is good. I still believe God is good, even though all these wrong things are happening in my life. How do you get faith like that? I mean, seriously, how do you get faith like that? How do we get to that place? How do you get to a place when, when it only seems like only evil is happening in your life, but you still believe God is good? How does that faith come? Where are we going to get it, folks? Are we going to wake up one day with that faith? Is it just going to appear out of the sky? Is it just going to happen that we'll have that faith one day? How do we get it? How do we get it? Andrew, let's go to the next verse. This is how faith comes. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need faith in the promises of God. We need faith in the word of God. That's what builds our faith. That's what strengthens our faith. The Bible is the place to strengthen your faith. It's the only place where you get it. It's holding on to the promises of God, the Word of God. Faith comes from the Word of God. If you know the Word of God real well, you'll have great faith. If you know the Word of God a little bit, you'll have a little bit of faith. If you don't know the Word of God, you won't have faith. Faith comes through this book. And let me tell you the single most important habit 
and developing stability against stress and against the evil in our world. The number one habit you need to develop if you want to overcome the tough times in life is to memorize Bible verses. I talked with someone uh, in our church recently who each week they take a, a verse off of the sermon outline and they memorize it that week. And many of you are like, what's the sermon outline? What's well, this thing we hand out every week and it's got the Bible verse tracks with the screen and the message and work real hard on it actually if you want to know the truth of it. And, and uh, gives you the, the word that we're going through that will strengthen your faith and build your faith. The very thing you came in here for in the first place. And they take one of these Bible verses each week and they memorize it. And you'd be amazed how much you can memorize if each week you'll take a verse and you'll say it out loud a few times a day. You'll rewrite it a couple times. You'll put it in front of you. You'd be amazed how much you can internalize of the word over not long, not long at all. Why, why, do, you, why do we do this? Why? Why should we make it a goal in our life to memorize Bible verses? Because when you most need the word, you don't have a Bible. When you're sitting at a restaurant and a friend tells you that their spouse is leaving them, when you're sitting in a doctor's office and the news is not good, or when, when, when you're at work and somebody gets laid off or you get laid off or you've been called into the counselor's office at school and your child's being suspended and something's going haywire at school or when you're in persecution and the Bible has been ripped from you, all you have left is what you can remember of it. And in crises of life, you've got to have the Word hidden in your heart. It's the Word of God that builds your faith. You need it to saturate your mind. This is how David made it through a crisis. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your Word in my heart. What's banked in the vault of your heart? And the longer I pastor this church, the more I get concerned that you might not know it. And you hear me read it, and you know where to find some stuff, but you haven't hidden it in your heart. What's banked in the vault of your heart? The promises of God? You say, well, I just can't memorize. We remember what is important to us. That's why we remember social security numbers and email addresses and phone numbers and cross streets and all these different things. We remember what's important to us. We also remember what we hear often. I don't know how many sports radio jingles and commercials I could sing to you right now. Phone numbers of businesses I hear on the radio all day that... In fact, last night I started singing some of those jingles. I won't do that to you today, but it's because I hear it. I, I put it in my mind a lot. I turn it on a lot. Are we putting the Word in, in, in front of us? Psalm 119.25 says, I lie in the dust. Me, I'm completely discouraged. I'm at the end of my rope. Revive me by television. I've just been working like a lot of months without a day off. Just revive me with a, a day off. I need some time off, then I'll be revived. I can't sleep at night. It's affecting my work. It's just, I lie in the dust. Revive me by wine and melatonin. 
the depression's more than I can handle sometimes. And if I even shared with you some of the thoughts that think outside, just revive me with a drug, revive me with alcohol. I need a good, I need a laugh, I need a good time. Would you revive me with a party? Haven't had sex in a long time and I'm discouraged, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm gonna download an app, I'm gonna do whatever I can, I'm gonna call this ex, I'm gonna hook up with this person, would you revive me by sex? I can't, I can't be alone and I just need to be revived by, by some people. I don't even care who it is. I don't care where it is. Never forget your promises to me, your servant. They are my only hope. They give me strength in all my troubles. They refresh me. They revive me. Lord, revive me by your word. And we've got to revive one another by the word. I'm so thankful for the people in my life who revive me with the word. Thankful for my mother who almost never writes a birthday card or a card of encouragement without a Bible verse in it. Almost everything she says to me is rooted in in a scripture verse somehow. I'm thankful for my wife who texts Bible verses and prays out Bible verses and being strengthened by the word. For men who've prayed over me this morning, the scripture How are you reviving your family? How are you reviving your friends? Your words aren't going to last. God's words last forever. They never fail. They never falter. They never wither. My words today won't last. God's word will last forever. It will not return void. What is reviving your life? And what is strengthening your faith? And that's how you help a friend. And that's how you strengthen people with the word. There's one other thing that friends do, and that is they speak words of hope. They speak words of hope. You gotta, you gotta become a dealer in hope. Some of you know what it, what it means to be a dealer. <laughs> and you're dealing a new thing now. You're dealing hope. You're a pusher in hope. You're a purveyor of hope. Friends speak words of hope. Friends point out, that you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. We're going to be there with you. This is not the end of your life. Philippians 1.6. This is a great verse to memorize. It says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I've never believed that verse more than I believe it today, and I believe it for you. What does this mean? That Christ Jesus is returning. Christ Jesus is coming back. Our next series is going to be about this. He's returning, but he's not back yet. So do you know what that means? God's not finished with you. Can I speak some words of hope to you today? Can I be your friend today? God's not finished with you. He's not done. He's not done. Keep growing. And you've got to tell your friend, I'm going to grow through this. I'm going to help you grow through this. And what you do as a friend is you say, I'm going to take this situation and help you to grow. We're not going to get stuck here. I talked with uh, a cancer survivor, heard from one recently who said a lot of people after they've had cancer, they're known the rest of their lives as a cancer survivor. I'm not going to let that define me. It's just a bump in the road. It's not what I'm going to be known for. 
I'm not going to let something bad define the rest of my life. And as a friend, you come in and you say, yes, this thing is horrible, but it's not defining the rest of your life. It's not changing your identity. This is not who you are. Christ is in you. You are a new creation. Your identity is you're a child of God. This sin you've committed, this mistake you've made, that's not the real you. I'm your friend. I know who you really are. And you don't let that bad thing define them for the rest of their life. And during a crisis, you don't focus so much on God solving the situation as you focus on becoming a man of God, becoming a woman of God, saying, God, work on me and help help me, help my friend as they work on them. Some of you are in a crisis right now. And maybe you're even thinking, help a friend. Like, I'm the one in the crisis and I'm deeply sorry. God says that sometimes God uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. That's from from Scripture. That there's purpose in your pain. That God is getting you to seek something and to turn to something and discover that Jesus Christ can restore. He can heal. He can replace The chaos in your mind with peace of mind, he can strengthen your heart if you'll surrender to him. What does that look like? Job 11, the last verse for today, says that yet if you devote your heart to him, what does that mean? It means, God, I'm going to step out and do the right thing. Uh, Even though it's the hard thing. It's the uncomfortable thing. It's not what everyone's telling me to do. I'm going to step out and do the right thing. If you devote your heart to him and you stretch out your hands to him, And you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent. Then free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as the water has gone by. It will just be a memory. It will fade from your memory. And I just wonder who needs to do that today. Who needs to say, God, I'm turning my heart back towards you. And I'm going to do the right thing, even though it's going to take everything I've got in me. But getting my heart right with you is worth it all. And I'm lifting my hands to you today. And it's just, I'm releasing my control of this. I'm surrendering it to you, lifting my face up to you. And I want to receive your grace. And I want you to define my life. You know, there, in southern Kansas City, there are thousands of people in pain. And there's no way any one church can reach them. And what we've talked about in these messages is not the job of a pastor. It's not the job of a counselor. It's not the job of a missionary. This is what friends do. This is what real friends do. And I just pray that we would ask the Holy Spirit to guide us to the people who are ready to hear these things, who are ready to be encouraged in the faith. Let's pray together. Father, we can restore a lot of things. We can control a lot of things. But only you, God, through Jesus Christ, can restore a soul a broken heart, 
And God, I just pray that this room would say yes to your healing today. Would you just pray in your heart and mind, say, Jesus, I've got some damaged emotions. I have some unfinished business. I need your help. Jesus, remove the guilt from my life. Forgive all my sins. Relieve my grief. Help me to see what's left, not not only what's lost. I need you to replace my grudges. I I need you to help me let it it go so I can move on with my life and and redeem this pain and and use it to, to help other people. I need you to restore my soul today. God, I I pray for my friend, my family member. God, show me how I can help them. Show me how I can strengthen their faith with your word and your promises. God, please prepare their heart and their mind. Go before me, Lord, as I try to help them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.